Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. invite you to join with us this morning as we sing your songs, as we praise and lift you up our hearts and voices. Lord, as we lift up our prayers, Lord, that you may just be glorified in all that we do. We pray this in the name of your Son. And God's people said, Amen. As you can tell, the theme this morning is that of grace. In Mark chapter 10, I titled this message with squeals of delight, with squeals of delight. Like little children, Jesus is going to speak to us today of little children. In last week's message, we saw that marriage displays the person of God, namely through His faithfulness and His steadfast love that they are forever. Marriage is designed to express that whether you are a believer or not, all marriages are to express God's love and faithfulness. Scripture commands us to let the marriage be held in honor among all. And as a church, you and I, we must commit to growing strong marriages that proclaim the good news that Jesus loves us and will never forsake us. Today, Mark turns a little bit and he continues to declare the gospel through Jesus' interaction with little children. In this passage, Squeals of Delight in Mark chapter 10, we will once again see God's sovereign grace in his choosing to receive little children who have done nothing to earn his acceptance and love. So with me, read silently as I read 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked him. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Strong words. And he took them in his arms and blessed them and laying his hands on them. This passage this morning is going to lead to several questions that we're going to answer. The first question is, why are parents bringing children to Jesus? Why are the disciples refusing to let them see Jesus? And why did Jesus receive them? And then what's the spiritual truth that Jesus is teaching in this small, short passage? Father, I pray that you just give us wisdom. Lord, we've been praying over this passage. I've asked the congregation to join me in praying for that and reading it themselves and studying it. And I pray now that you would just give us the fruition of that preparation. Lord, let us speak the words that are edifying, that build up. This portion of Scripture here is is eternal in the fact that it's been written down, that we may know it, and Lord, that we may know you, and that we may respond through your Spirit's work in us. So let it do that work this morning. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for your son, and we pray this in his name. Amen. As far as why are parents bringing the children, as we're looking at this, it was customary to bring children to great men to have them blessed. In Genesis chapter 48, you see that Joseph is bringing his two sons to his father, Jacob, Israel at that time. They called him Israel to be blessed. You see this time and time again, and it was something that was customary in the Jewish culture to bring your children to a rabbi, to a teacher in order to bless them. 
Funny, today we don't necessarily do that. We bring our children to the Easter Bunny, to the Santa Claus, to the sports stars and to the movie stars and, and song people and all that type of stuff in order to get autographs and handshakes and selfies and pictures with them. But in those days, they would bring their people to great men. However, I would say that that still happens today. There are many times that I've been in the office and people will bring their children and ask me to pray for them, either for their schooling, for their tests, or just pray for them in their sickness. So it's something that happens today. Many churches and we ourselves practice baby dedications, in which people will bring their babies and will dedicate their family. And they bring them to children, to, you know, to the priests and the pastors and all sorts of things. So there's something to be said about bringing our children because we want them to be blessed. We love our children. We desire typically the best for them. We want them to have all advantages of life. What is evident here is that the parents love their children and the desire for them to be blessed by Jesus. They recognize that there's something special about Jesus. There's something about his touch. He heals. He exercises demons. He does mighty works, and they want some of that. Maybe some of the children may have been sick. Maybe some of them have been struggling with some different things. But whatever it is, they want to be seen by Jesus and touched by Jesus. Now, sadly, Mark doesn't record why the disciples were stopping the children from seeing Jesus. Though we could speculate that maybe they were trying to protect Jesus' time. We know that he's on his way to Jerusalem. We know that his time is short, though they don't know that. But they're always seeking privacy, so maybe they're just trying to protect Jesus' time. Maybe they didn't think that Jesus would want to see little children as they're not as important as the adults, so to speak. Or maybe they're just insensitive to the desires of the parents and of Christ. But Mark does note that Jesus was indignant. Did you see that word? And Jesus was indignant, meaning to be pained, to be angry, to, be, to feel irritation about the disciples' actions. Jesus doesn't get angry often, but when he does, uh, borrowing from that famous commercial there, it's important to note there are a few times in Scripture when he gets angry, and this is one of those times. He's not happy with the disciples, and he rebukes them by informing them that children are important to him. Now, maybe this was news to them. Maybe, there, maybe a lot of people didn't bring children always to Jesus. But in this case, he's saying, wait a second, do not hinder them. The story, once again, illustrates here the failure of the disciples to view things as Jesus did. They continue to reject whom Jesus receives. And we've seen this rebuke already in chapter 9 when he spoke about bringing a little child to him, bringing the little ones. Again, the disciples continue to reject those whom Jesus receives. To some, children are just an annoyance. They're annoying. And they're a distraction from the important adult activities that we do. From our adult conversations and even maybe our adult worship. Yet, Jesus would say that children are a treasure, are an awesome gift from God. Now we have to recognize, and I want you to take your Bibles if you would, and turn to the book of Jeremiah. It's in the Old Testament. Because we need to see that the Jews were not always loving to their children. They were not always protective of their children. They didn't always bring to seek them out, seek a wise men to ask blessings. In Jeremiah chapter 19, we see a very dark time in Israel's history when they didn't cherish their children at all. In Jeremiah chapter 19, look at verses 3 through 6. 
prophets, God is saying through the prophet, you shall say, he tells Jeremiah, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of anyone who hears it will tingle. Look at verse 4 of chapter 19. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence. Look at verse 5. And have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topeth, or the valley of the sons of Hinnom, but the valley of the slaughter. If you were to go back to Mark chapter 9, looking at verse 47 and 48, you'll see the same place when it says, And if your eyes cause you to sin, what did he say? Tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with no eye or with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Remember when we looked at that several weeks? This is the place that he's speaking of. This is now the valley of slaughter. They burned their children. We see here that parents would actually offer up their children to be burned in order to appease a false god that they did not know. And you can clearly see in this passage how God responds to that. He says, I am going to destroy this place. This place is going to be a forsaken place. His anger is apparent. Judgment awaits those that do such thing. Amen? But before we respond with surprise at this activity, you and I must be reminded that we live in a culture, in a country, that offers up their innocent children to the gods of privacy, convenience, and monetary gain with abortion on demand. God will judge. So they didn't always cherish children, but Jesus does. In Matthew 18.10, the apostle records the words of Jesus when he warned his disciples, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. God cherishes children. Jesus answers the question of why he would take the time, why he would take the energy to receive them in verse 14 of Mark chapter 10. He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belong the kingdom of God. For such belong to the kingdom of God. Now listen to what I have to say here. Because Jesus is not saying that the kingdom of God belongs to children because they are not sinners or have a sin nature. We know from Scripture that all are born in sin, as David laments in Psalms 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Paul, the Apostle Paul, informs us that we are all dead in our trespasses, and in our nature we are children of disobedience. Babies, infants, and toddlers are no exceptions. So he is not saying that they receive the kingdom because they are sinless and they're innocent from sin. Theologian Walter Wessel, in his commentary on Mark, writes that Jesus is pointing out 
that children in their receptivity and dependence exemplify the characteristics of those who possess God's kingdom. In other words, only those who respond to Jesus with total trust can enter the kingdom. See, they receive Jesus in a wonderful, wonderful way. Think about how your children trust you, how they receive you as they're young. They receive you just wonderful, do they not? I mean, you think of a kid, I think of Landon. I, I use Landon a lot because he's my grandson. I love him, and he's the greatest kid in the world. But you know, when we're doing something, and with, he's with his daddy, and Brandon, when he puts him on a table and he says, jump, what does Landon do? Why? Why does he jump? He trusts his daddy. He knows his daddy's going to catch him. When he comes, it's kind of funny. When he sees me, I get so excited because I've always wanted this. He gets a little bit excited and he comes and he grabs my finger. He was just doing this to Jacob a little bit earlier. He grabs your finger and he wants you to go with them. He receives me. Why? I'm his bop. I'm his grandpa. He loves me. He receives us in that type of way. He trusts me completely. When I give him something, he doesn't sit there and, and think, oh, I don't know if I should eat this or not. He just eats it. Now, if you give me something to eat, I'm going to look it all upside down and everything else. I'm not trusting, okay? But for a child, they're very trusting, are they not? Now, they grow out of that very quickly, don't they? They stop trusting us after a while. After a while, they don't jump as much. And they may not do that. But in this, they gladly receive our gifts. They don't look the gift horse in the mouth, if you know that old phrase. They just accept it. Now, they may taste it, may not like it, but they accept it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Such belongs to the kingdom of God. Those who are like child in which they willingly trust and receive without looking, trying to gain favor. And what we see here is Jesus shows his love for them and accepting them and receiving them and hugging them and blessing them in verse 16 when it says, And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Because they come to Jesus, ready to receive him, Jesus opens his arms and receives them. Now this is a heartwarming tale. It's a heartwarming story of Jesus and children. But what is Jesus trying to teach through this event? See, we can go through this passage and think, well, boy, he just talked about divorce and he's just about to talk about the rich young man. Those are two powerful, heavy verses. So Jesus throws in kind of a story illustration of children just to kind of lighten us up. But I think there's more to it. The Bible just doesn't throw things in here. And by the way, all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that the Synoptic Gospels, include this in this section. There's an important thing that's happening here. Is that we need to understand why does Mark include this in his gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he writes to the Church of Rome? What's the importance of this? And this comes to the spiritual truth. But what we're finding here is that you and I must come willingly to Christ, trusting that Jesus receives us with open arms in order that the Father may give us good gifts based on grace and not our own work. Let me read that again. We must come willingly to Christ. Trusting that Jesus receives us with open arms, amen? That the Father may give us good gifts based on grace and not our own works. I believe that's what Jesus is teaching here. That's what it means, do not hinder the children, for such belong to the kingdom of God. You see, this is an illustration of how Jesus receives us and how you and I should respond to Christ. This is a earthly illustration that previews a spiritual reality. Let me unpack this. I want to unpack the phrases. First, you and I must come willingly to Christ. 
Now, Scripture is clear that there is nothing. Now, listen to this. This is important. The Scripture is clear that there is nothing within us that desires the things of God. Our hearts are in a constant state of rebellion, listen to this, from birth. Both the Old and the New Testament tells us that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. That is why God said we must be born again. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us willing, who gives us a new heart, who gives us the heart of a child who is willing now to receive the things of God. Pastor A. Rollison writes that the point of comparison is not so much the innocent and humility of children. It is rather the fact that children are unselfconscious, that they're receptive and content to be dependent on others' care and bounty. That's what it means to become willingly to Christ. Now, we're going to see next week that another young man comes to Christ, but he doesn't come as a child. In it, such a spirit, he writes, that the kingdom must be received. It is a gift of God, and it's not an achievement on the part of man. It must simply be accepted inasmuch as it can never be deserved. Take your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 1, if you would. Fourth Gospel, if you're in Mark, keep your finger there. Move over to John. You and I must come willingly to the Spirit. But our spirit is not willing to come. So our hearts must be made new. We need a, to be born again. Should I go into my mother's room and be born again, says Nicodemus? Jesus says, no, you must be born of the Spirit. John chapter 1, look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, what did he do? He gave the right to become children of God who were born. Now look at this, this is important. Who were born not of blood, so they weren't born through their mothers, nor the will of the flesh. They were not born because they desired it, nor the will of man. It's not their own attitude, but of what? God. So we must come willingly to Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that comes. The kingdom is both a gift to be received and a realm to be entered. And so you and I must understand that before we can enter the kingdom of God, before salvation comes, we need to be willing. And that only comes with the heart of a child who recognizes they have nothing to bring, but they just receive what Jesus so graciously offers. Let's look at the next one. Not only is it we must come willing to Christ, but trusting that Jesus receives us with open arms. Like the children in this story, we must trust that Jesus receives us. Like a child who trusts his daddy will catch him if he jumps. Like a child who trusts his mommy will take care of his boo-boos. We must run into the arms of Christ. Paul tells us that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Will be saved. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, will have eternal life. Romans 5.8 tells us that God commendeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. Thank you. You and I must trust that when we jump, he will catch us. When he calls, he will bring us in. So many people come to Christ unwillingly or willingly, but yet hesitantly. We must not do that. We must run to his arms. You hear the story of the prodigal son 
who comes to the Father, not knowing how his Father is going to receive him. But there never should have been any doubt that the Father would not receive him with open arms. And let me tell you here today, if you're hearing God call you saying, come, 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 run, run to him. Run with open arms and be ready to receive, be to, re, to be received into the arms of a loving Christ who desires to save you and desires to lift you up. So not only do we then trust that Jesus receives us with open arms in order that the Father may give us good gifts. Matthew 7.11 says, If you then who are evil, speaking of the disciples and the Pharisees and the Jewish people, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, we do. Christmas, birthdays, we give good gifts to our children. He says, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Who can give the greatest gift of all? Is the Father. For so many of us, though, that we're so needs-based that we want to come to Father for our things. Those are people who see Jesus as the solution to the problem. If you just solve my problems, I'll come to you. Give me wealth, give me health, give me all the things that I need. However, the Father comes to give us good gifts. Jesus receives us not just so we can be loved, but so the Father can lavishly give us of himself. You see, the Father desires to give us of himself. That is the best gift that God could ever give you. Maybe you're sitting here and saying, boy, I wish God would just give me a new car. I wish God would just give me all the health. I wish God would give me a home. I wish God would give me a good job. I wish God would give me a good marriage. The good gifts that God is talking about is the gift of himself. His promises are good and his promises are holy, but they're based on the person of God so many times. You and I just love God because of the gifts he gives us. We love our wives when they serve us. We love our children when they respect us. But when those things go upside down, all of a sudden we find that we don't love as we did before. And there's some of you that have come to God, and then all of a sudden you find out that life is not a bed of roses, that everything isn't great, and all of a sudden you're now doubting the promise and the goodness of God. The Westminster Catechism says it well. Man's chief end is to glorify God, and I love this end, we've got to get this ending, and to enjoy Him forever. Do you enjoy God? Have you tasted and seen that He is good? That He's the greatest gift that you could ever desire and that you can ever receive. And when we receive Him, He gives us life eternal. We become members of God's household, citizens of the kingdom of God, not just so we can be without sin, not just so we can be without pain and sorrow as we see in Revelation, but so that we may spend eternity getting to know Him. What will we do in eternity? Will we be singing around with harps and things like that? To some of you, that would be hell. But no, God says, no, there may be some of that. But God says, you're just going to get to know me forever. Forever learning more about him. Christ receives us in order that the Father may give us good gifts. Those gifts are not based on our own works as we look at that last phrase. But it's based on grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you have this memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Like children 
who do not earn their parents' favor or love, we must realize that we cannot earn God's favor or God's love. The scripture tells us that he has chosen us not based on what we have done or what we will do. Scripture informs us that out of love, he has chosen us for his good pleasure. We must stop trying to work our way to heaven or thinking that we must be perfect to gain his favor. You see, it's all about grace. God wants us to realize that's why he receives children. It's about grace. They willing receive him out of love. God chooses in the same way you and I must have the same mindset, the same heart of knowing that God chooses to receive him as himself. And then he gives us of himself. I pray, have you done that this morning? Have you willingly put your trust and run into the open arms of Christ that the Father may give you of his good gifts recognizing that it's of grace and not of your works? If you have, be amen. But if you haven't, don't leave, don't walk out those doors until you've come to that knowledge. Scripture tells us today is the day of salvation. That's the spiritual truth. We must come willingly to Christ, trusting that Jesus receives us with open arms, that the Father may give us good gifts based on grace and not our own works. What do we do now? What promises can I hold on to? How does this spiritual truth, how does this illustration, how is this receiving of children, how does that change my worldview? How should I respond? I want to give you two ways this morning. Very simple. Two ways this morning. The first one is you need to come to Christ with the heart of a child. You need to come to Christ with the heart of a child. You must come to Him with hands emptied. And just say, receive me as I have. Landon doesn't need to bring me gifts for me to receive them. My children don't have to have gifts to come over and visit me. I receive them with open arms. We love them in that type of way. God says, come to me with the heart of a child. Pray for that heart. And not only that, live out your life as a child. Not in mind and maturity, but live your life out as a child by trusting the promises and goodness of the Father. Pray for a new heart. Receive the goodness of God. So many times we accept Christ and maybe we come as a child. And then we take the thing of maturity and you spiritually, yes, you need to mature. We do need to eat no longer spiritual baby food, but grow into the deeper things of God. However, we grow in such a way as that all of a sudden we believe that we've still got to earn God's favor. All of a sudden our mind and heart changes or we're not a humble as a child any longer. And all of a sudden we start demanding as a child begins to, from his father later in life, feed me, give me, help me. And all of a sudden that relationship changes. You parents know what I'm talking about. There's a point where the child-parent relationship changes. We need to recognize that we need to continue to live our life. There are some of you here that are struggling with trusting the promises and the commands of God. You are fighting sin because you're not yet trusting the promises of God in some form or fashion. If not, then you're sinless. Okay? There's always some ways in which we're struggling with the promises and the goodness of God. You need to trust Him. 
need to live it out. Sometimes I know there's some people that are always seeking to find the answer. Sometimes the answer in this world will be elusive. You just can't grasp it completely. But that's where faith and trust comes in. Would you just trust him? Would you put faith in him? When he says jump, would you jump? When he says take, would you take? When he says give, would you give? That's what he's calling us to do, is to live out like a child who obediently obeys his, his parents. Then the second is this passage should direct you and I to love children as Christ loves them. This passage should direct us to love children as Christ loves them. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, fifth book in the Bible. Start at Genesis, go through five books, you'll find Deuteronomy. We're going to do this in two ways, mainly. It's we need to love children as Christ loves them. We need to see them as God sees them, not as the disciples saw them. And what we see here is the first way that we love children as Christ loves them is we look at their parents. Parents, you have a special responsibility to those children that God has given you. And parents have a special responsibility to teach their children. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel. Verse 4. Deuteronomy 6. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You have here the first commandment. But look at verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and of your gates. What is he saying? You have a special responsibility to teach your children about the Lord. You need to share with them your testimony. Share with them what God's word says. And it ought to be assigned in such a way in which they know it as they get up, when they come down, and when they lay down. We need to have it as a frontlet. When he's talking about on our hands, I believe he's talking about the things that we do ought to honor God with all our heart and soul and our mind. When we talk about our eyes, we do, we see things. We go those places. When he talks about putting on your doorpost, in your neighborhood, your house should be known as a home of God. God is honored here. We put those little signs, those little plaques in our home, God bless this home, or we put the Ten Commandments, things of that nature. Your home should be a place that says God is taught here. He is honored here. Parents, you have a special, special responsibility to teach your children. You say, but my children are grown. They're 18. They're, they're here. They're there. They got their own lives. They're married. They have their own children. Let me tell you. I think, parents, you understand this. So I'll give you what's already known. We never, ever stop parenting our children. We should never stop directing their hearts to the Almighty God. The relationship may change. Instead of being their dictator or their ruler, we turn into coaches and we coach them. We may come to be spectators who encourage them. But whatever the case may be, recognize this. You have a special responsibility to teach your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. That will never end. Here's a word of encouragement, though, to you parents. You need to give them a biblical view of God. Scripture has made it such is that they are going to view God as they view you. 
That's why he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath or to anger. Why? Because God the Father does not do that. We are to exemplify the God. Mother, in the same way, you exemplify the traits of God. They come to God through you. And so let me say a word of encouragement. Because maybe you haven't been that type of father. Maybe today you struggle seeing a good holy God because your father was not that way. The word of encouragement is God still works. Even through our failures. Even through our shortcomings. Maybe you've suffered because you've not had a godly parent. You've suffered under some type of abuse. Let me share with you that view of God is not right. So go back to Scripture and see that He is a God who does not abuse. He is a God who does love. He is a God who loves unconditionally. He is a Father who will love you and receive you to Himself. And then commit to being that type of Father, praying that God would protect you and your children. So not only do parents have a special responsibility to teach your children, but parents, it's not enough. It's not enough just to teach them. You need to lead a godly life. So many times we as parents teach in the word of God, but live a whole total different way. Our children director, Nicole Johnson, we were speaking about this message, and she reminds us that faith is not an adult concept. We can't be hypocritical parents. Our children, too, can come to a knowledge and a faith and trust in God. Let me ask you, is worship a chore when you come? Is it something that you grumble and complain about? Is devotion something you grumble and complain about? Do you give a version of yourself that is much different from the view of God? We need to teach in the Word of God, but you and I, we need to live it out. And I'll have to tell you, I've failed in this more ways than not. We all do. Hence, that's again the grace of God that covers us. Yet the mark of a godly parent is one who repents and confesses even to his children and asks for their forgiveness when he fails to live up. There have been many times my children will tell you that I've had to go to their rooms or come to them and say, hey, I'm sorry, I blew it. I was wrong. I harmed you. I hurt you. My mind still has those moments seared into my flesh, into my mind, and they come up at times, even now, thinking of a few that would bring me shame if you were to know them. But yet God has called us to live out our faith. So whether you're here as a parent who has blown it, go back and ask your children for forgiveness. Confess that. If you're here and your children, uh, share with your parents the things and times when they might have blown it. Forgive your parents. If you're here and you do not have children yet, confirm, commit today. This is what you'll do. That this will be your home. But then not only do parents have a special responsibility to teach your children and to live it out. But the second point here, as we direct to love children as Christ loves them, He's called us as we as a church. We as a church must also value children. R.T. France, a theologian from Britain, he writes that this passage has an important role in guiding the church's attitude towards children and the priority it gives to their spiritual welfare. In other words, will we be a church that hinders children from coming to Christ? Or will we be a church that is bringing 
our children to Christ. As a church, we must ask, how do we hinder them? How do we bring them? Psalms 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And let me share with this real quickly. We cherish children when we pray for them. And I'm not speaking just of your own. But when we pray for other people's children, when we pray for the children in our immediate community, when we pray for the children in our neighborhoods, when we pray for the children in our schools and of our friends. We cherish children when we pray for them, when we love them, when we teach them Jesus, and when we support ministries that serve children. And I want to say that this church has done that very well. But there are some ways that we hinder children. We hinder children when we ignore them when they're among us. We hinder children when we get annoyed with them, with their noise or their activities. We hinder children when we demand that they be silent. And we hinder children when we don't support ministries that serve children. Let me tell you, this church has done magnificent. You think of uh, the 10 that we may have here for Sunday school. You'll see Storybook Hour on Wednesday. We'll have, what is it, 8 to 10 to 12, 15 children that we teach for an hour and 15 minutes. They're ABCs and Jesus. We have VBS, which is, again, we're punching above our weight. We have 120 kids or more that'll come. We have Ignite that we have every Friday. Again, another hour and 15 minutes when they hear the gospel. And we have from anywhere from 15 to 25 kids every Friday. See, so what you see here on Sunday is just a small portion of what God has enabled us to do. But he's also given us a ministry called Summit, which is our summer program for one hour. Four days a week, so for four hours, again, we teach them Jesus. That program averages 60 to 90 four days a week. But here's the problem. Some of those ministries are in danger of having to be closed. Summit specifically, we're talking about whether we'll have Summit this year. And we had a high of over 100 and something one, one Thursday. But it's usually anywhere from 50 to 70 kids with highs of 89s. We may have to close it because there's only me, Dustin, and Nicole. We can't run 90 kids. Uh, we need to make sure not only do we support those ministries, not only do we pray for them, but we need others to be involved in them. Now, I say that knowing that many of you can't because of work, so this is not a guilt trip. So what do we need to do? We need to pray. Is these ministries that we need to continue? Are these ministries that we want to support? Frederick Douglass said these wise words. Here's why I believe it's so important for us as a church to love children and to teach them God's word. I believe this is why Jesus is saying this. Now, I don't think Frederick Douglass, African-American, back in the 1800s, many of you know him, great scholar. He's not speaking of the word of God, but he speaks some words of wisdom. Why is it that you and I should put so much effort into children? He said this, and maybe you know this quote, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Our churches, our pews, are filled with people who have struggled with addiction, who have struggled with all sorts of different things, whose lives have been destroyed through so many things. God is the answer. What if we can get them before that ever happens? Before they ever join the gangs, before they ever tag, before they ever go into human trafficking or prostitution, all of those things which we have here, some which happens on our property that we've seen and caught, 
What if we loved them and taught them? What if you did that with your children? What if you could have done it when you were young? God calls us to love children. Let's be a church that receives children. Let's be a church that teach our children about Christ. Why? Because God loves children. And he wants us to be received in the same way. Father, we just come before you this morning. We just ask for your... One, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to love children. And Father, I pray in the same way that we just continue to do so. But Father, I would pray that you would check our hearts. Are we too like children? Do we come to you willingly trusting in Jesus Christ that he opens up his arms to us in order that the Father may give us good gifts, not based on what we've done, but on God's wonderful grace as a loving Father. Let us accept that this morning. Let us live that out as we love children. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you take a moment for yourself to pause, to consider, to pray, and respond. What might Christ be calling you to this morning? Let us respond with that good faith, knowing that you're a loving God. Work in the hearts of each and everyone here this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.